Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. So good to see all of you today. The ushers are going to pass out the, uh, the message today. The message is completely printed out, including scriptures. So by a show of hands, we can dismiss right now if you want. And you can just take the message with you. Now, as I said before, the reason I pass out some of the messages in printed form like this is because, as you know, we've gone over a lot of scripture. And several people have said, you know, there's so much scripture, we, we have trouble keeping up. But the main reason I give these out from time to time is that we really want you to know what's contained in them. We want you to be able to see the scriptures, see the context, and also go back and use this as something that you can study and look into. As Apostle Price says, check it out for yourself. What we say, check out the scriptures for yourself. And we're talking about a topic, for those of you who are visiting today, we've been talking uh, in uh, nine previous sessions about why do we study the word from the Bible? And with a companion exploration of how to apply the word to our life. And today, I'm going to do a summary of part of the lesson. Now obviously you can't summarize nine lessons in one lesson. So what you're getting today are the highlights from that series. And what this is designed to do for you is this. If you can't remember where something was throughout the series, you have this one summary that you can go back to and recall uh, something that you're interested in pursuing or knowing. And you know, the more word you know, the more word you can share with someone else that you may be trying to lead to salvation. Also, the more words you know, the more you can lead yourself. Faith comes by hearing. And the more word you hear, the more knowledge you have of the Father and the Son, and the more you will be able to live according to what is written in the Word. You can't live by what's written in the Word if you don't know what's in the Word. So that's why we teach the Word here. And the reason I decided to teach this series is because I've noticed that there is a decline. It's too bad this is not being recorded. Are you recording this? Well, I want my minutes back because this is all, all introductory. I'll need my minutes back. You can, you can let it go. The reason I, I'm doing this series on why do we study the words in the Bible is that you can see yourself that there's a decline in many religious quarters today, a decline in the teaching of the word. Uh, ministers are reducing their messages to 20 minutes, you know, citing two or three scriptures, or one, or if any. And there seems to be, for some reason, a, a kind of a disinterest in hearing word, scriptures, and so forth, and so on. And Actually, the word and the scriptures is what it's all about. This is God speaking to us, and we need to know what he's telling us. 
So let's look at the message today. You can follow along with me. I'm going to follow it fairly closely. So today we're concluding our series that asks the question, why do we study the word from the Bible? You owe me 10 minutes. Bible. <laughs> and we're going to spend the remaining time today and probably one other session summarizing some of the basic uh, facts that we have established during this study. Now these facts established in, in the scripture give us the various reasons why we do study the word is found in the Bible. And as I have said and continue to point out, we look to the word itself for answers to this inquiry as to why we study the Bible. An inquiry that's so important to the believer today. Now by way of summary, let's review some of the important findings that we have revealed. First and foremost, we study the word from the Bible because the scriptures represent the inspired word of God. We see this in one of our foundation scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which you have right there. Aren't you glad you don't have to turn to your in the Bibles? Right here. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this: All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, this is amplified and or expounded upon, expanded in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. And you have it right there in front of you. Verse 20 says, knowing this first, we're reading from, for those listening in uh, via Periscope, we're reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now it's important to know this and to know what this means. And what this means is that God's Spirit, that's his Holy Spirit, breathed into, inspired, and directed the writers of the Bible to write what was written. That's why this is the inspired word of God. The word in the Bible is God speaking to us. Now I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning like some people say, and, the God, and God told me this, and God told me this, and God told me. I mean, some of you have that privilege, and, uh, and one of these days, I hope it'll come by me. Usually, God speaks to me through his word, sometimes through some revelation or illumination he gives me, and sometimes that may be in a dream and may be reading something that might not even be scripture. But audibly, it doesn't happen that much with me. So if you are having a lot of audible communication with God, God bless you. God bless you. Now, in the old days, in the Old Testament, God frequently spoke directly to man as we saw with Abraham, Moses, and others. And in many instances, God spoke to mankind through a variety of Old Testament prophets. These messages are recorded for us to see in various books of the Old Testament and also for us to examine today to see what applies to us. But basically, today, God speaks to us through his written word, the word in the Bible that all of you have. And that continues to be the main reason we study the Bible, as it is the revealed word of God to the believer today. Now, I pointed out that the word is as relevant today as it was over 2,000 years ago. Because you have young people saying, well, you know, is it relevant today? It's such an old book. I mean, what can it tell me today? It's as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. And it's alive. And we see this pointed out in Hebrews 4, uh, 4 chapter 4, verse 12. 
Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Now, getting back to the fact that the word is, is relevant, it's relevant because it's alive, it's relevant because God never changes. On his unchanging nature, we find this clear declaration in Malachi 3.16. We go to Malachi for our tithes and offering scripture, but in Malachi 3.16, this is God speaking where he says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Now that's about as direct and complete as you can get. Now while I noted that God does not change, I pointed out that history shows us, meaning the experience in history that we see shows us that the range, that human behavior also does not change. The range of human conduct and personal behavior that the Bible spoke to thousands of years ago is the same range of conduct we see in the human condition today. Now, by way of a partial listing, I pointed out that the Bible continues to deal with the following areas in the human experience, just as it always did. And I list all of these, and you have them right there, but I'm gonna go over them very quickly. You have them right there. It speaks to life, death, murder, suicide, sickness, healing, poverty, wealth, ambition, arrogance, pride, lying, war and peace, success and failure, procrastination, envy, jealousy, work, laziness, love, hatred, giving, integrity, diligence, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, perseverance, focus, vision, planning, fear, worry, anxiety, faith, doubt, unbelief, speaks to the family, marriage, adultery, thinking, anger, speaking, suffering, obedience, disobedience, stealing, making mistakes, redemption, reconciliation, bad judgment, sin, sin, honor and dishonor, earthly things and spiritual things. This is just a partial listen. The Bible spoke to these things thousands of years ago. It speaks to these things today. Now, Ecclesiastes, I like what Ecclesiastes does. It sums the whole thing up in Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse nine, which says this, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And history shows us that this is absolutely true. And there is nothing new under the sun. No new thing under the sun. There's no new thing or condition today that is new that did not exist before. Technology causes changes and science and vision uncover some previously hidden truths about the universe and the world, but unfortunately, human behavior remains the same. So the word in the Bible definitely speaks to the human condition uh, and to the believer today, that's us. We study the Bible to gain more knowledge of God's word because God has told us that this is a way to avoid uh, destruction in a world that is full of sin and distraction. In Hosea 4.6, very familiar scripture, all of you know this by heart. Hosea 4.6, God says this, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priests for me. The knowledge here is knowledge of God's word. So in rejecting knowledge, here you are rejecting God. Now, you're following along with me, that's why I can go a little fast, to help combat this lack of knowledge and increase our learning of the word. In Romans chapter 15, verse four, Romans 15, verse four, we are told this. For whatever things were written 
before were written for our learning, that we, through patience, the patience and comfort of the scripture, might have hope. Now, the scriptures were written for us to learn, for us to gain knowledge of God's words, which is designed to save us from destruction. It is God's word in the Bible and the knowledge of this word that gives us both comfort and hope. Speaking again in Proverbs 4, uh, verses 20 to 22, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 22, another very familiar scripture. God says this to us. He says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of you. Why? In the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and medicine to all their flesh. It says health, but that literally means medicine to all their flesh. There's healing in the word. There's healing in the blood. You just heard us speak, Elder Nate, and the ensemble sing about that. There's healing in the blood. We study and learn the word from the Bible because they are life and medicine to those who find them. Now, the fact that God says to those who find them tells us that we have to make an effort to search the scriptures to find those words of life and hell. Turn into Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. It says, I found, your words were found, and I ate them. And your word to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Your words were found, and I ate them. You eat God's word when you diligently study and meditate on this word and get it in on the inside of you where it becomes the joy and rejoicing of your heart. You get it on the inside of you so when you need it, when you need to repeat it, when you need to say, by his stripes I am healed, you know that, that comes to your mind. When you need financial help, when the rent money is not there, you know that my God shall supply every need of yours according to his uh, riches in Christ, in glory by Christ Jesus. You know words that speak to your situation. So the more you know, the less fearful you'll be when you're confronted with something because the word is what you fight with. The word is your weapon. It's the weapon of choice for the believer in resisting the challenges and obstacles that come in life or any of the tricks of the devil. Now you wanna get the word on the inside of you so when a challenge confronts you, as I just said, you will know the word to stand on. When it comes to the believer, Satan's motive is destruction and his method is distraction. Again, his motive is destruction, his method is distraction. We are distracted when challenges come and this distraction is made worse, compounded by ignorance of God's word. There is a word in the Bible for any and all challenges, whether it is financial, health, relationship, a relationship issue, fear and worry, or just a difficult decision to be made. You need to be able to repeat God's word that speaks to your particular situation. If it's a healing need, a financial need, a healing of the heart, whatever it is, you need to know that word that you can stand on. You need to know the word that addresses the help you desire and the word that addresses what you expect from God. It's important, next paragraph, because the important thing here to know about speaking God's word over your situation 
or your need and over your expectations, that's what you expect from God is that God is duty bound to confirm his word. Now he's not duty bound to confirm your begging, your screaming, your crying, or your why me, and so forth. He is duty bound to confirm his word. So if you give him back his word, he will confirm that word. Very important to know this. And we see this in the scripture. Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 20. You have it right there. Mark chapter 16, verse 20, which says this. And they, they being the disciples, went about preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming his word. How? Through accompanying signs. The Lord working with them. Now pick up on two things here in Mark 16, 20. First, God confirms his word that the disciples preached. He did not confirm the disciples who were doing the preaching. He confirmed his word that they were preaching. The word is always paramount. Second, the word and the preaching of it, of it comes first. The accompanying signs come afterwards. In other words, you speak the word first and the signs follow. You speak the words first. And it's very important, and you know we teach this all the time here, it's very important that you verbalize the word. You know, you can think it to yourself all you want, but you need to verbalize it. You need to verbalize it. There are at least three entities or individuals who need to hear it. That's why you need to speak it. You need to hear it. God needs to hear it. And the devil needs to hear it. So you need to speak it. And you don't have to speak it. You don't have to have an audience. And if you're embarrassed about speaking out loud because people might think you're crazy, then do it in the shower. Go to a mirror and, and, and say it and so forth. You can just speak it. You need to hear it. The devil needs to hear it. And God needs to hear you feeding it back to him. Very important. Now, you must stand on and confess, verbalize God's word and expect God to then confirm his word with signs following. The signs following is the answer or relief you need. Now, here's a personal example that I've given to you before about the time when I was attacked by cancer. This was about 10 years ago. At that time, the Holy Spirit directed me to Psalm 118.17. And you know it, you've heard us say it here so many times. Psalm 118.17, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit led me to these words, as I said, and I immediately knew, and you'll know when you're reading uh, in the Bible or you hear somebody speak or you're reading in a religious magazine, you know, like Charisma or some other publication, when you see a scripture, you will know if that scripture is for you because it'll jump off the pages uh, at you. It'll jump off the pages in the Bible if you're reading there. And you'll know that if it relates to you and relates to what's happening in your life at a given time. Now, I stood on those words and repeated them out loud several times a day. The signs did follow. Reading at the bottom of a page, the cancer was treated successfully and the words contained in Psalm 118 came to pass. Not only did I not die, how do you know I didn't die? <laughs> you don't have to take my word for it, how do you know? <laughs> Nobody's answered, how do you know I didn't die? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe I should give you this, and how many of you believe that I'm here? <laughs> I won't ask you to raise hands because it could be embarrassing. You don't have to believe that I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> All right. So, 
not only did I not die, but I have been actively declaring, teaching, and proclaiming the word of God since the defeat of that cancer 10 years ago. That's what I'm doing in today's message. The word will work for you if you work the word. And here's a bit of advice I'm giving you right here. You see it here in italics. As a believer, you find the scriptures that support your goal, whether it is health, or financial, or other material need, or wisdom, or freedom from fear and worry, and believe the word and confess it, meaning to speak it. Say the word daily and expect God to confirm his word with signs following, and he will. Now, an important point to note here is that in time of distress, this is the second paragraph, page five, that in the time of distress, other need for direction in life, we often fail to call upon, upon the source, Father God and the Son made available to help us. This source of help is the Holy Spirit, who stands as one of the greatest gifts to us from God through the Son. And we spoke about this in this series. The Holy Spirit can tell, can call to your remembrance words in the scripture that you can stand on, as happened in my case. The Holy Spirit can also help direct you to other truths that can assist you. Now, we discussed the Holy Spirit, as I said, as one of the gifts from God in this series, but his importance bears mentioning right here. As Jesus ascended to heaven, as you know, after his resurrection, he made sure before he left that the disciples and us today would have another helper at hand to assist us. That helper again is the Holy Spirit about whom Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, here in verses 16 and 17. John 14, verses 16 and 17, where Jesus says this, 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. 17, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's why the Holy Spirit is always at hand. We don't have to beg. We don't have to, you know, I mean, really make any extraordinary effort to reach out and try to find the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not anywhere lost. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us. Now, as believers, we have something, which I just spoke about, that the rest of the world does not have. We have our personal helper who will guide and direct us into all truth. As Jesus said in John chapter 14 again, verses 26, but the helper, again, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, it's important for you to know that the Holy Spirit is not a source of help that we have to search for or to strain to get. Is it? To get his attention since he dwells in us. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a prominent minister who was teaching here in New York, and he was at a hotel like this that had a balcony like that. And he noticed that the people were straining and reaching up and reaching out and, and saying, you know, oh God, oh God, oh God. And they were looking up and they were, and he said, folks, just relax. If God was on the second floor, we would have rented the space up there. He's, 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 he's here where we are. Now, we know he's here where we are. Why do, how do we know that he's here where we are? Well, let me put it this way. 
If he's here today, he's only here because you brought him with you. I mean, you hear people saying, well, I'm going to church to find God or to pray. No. If you don't bring him with you, he's not here. He, he comes with you. So let's look to the word that tells us this fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, which says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? In you, who you have from God and you are not your own. And you only know this from studying the word or having it taught to you by some, someone who's teaching from the word. That's the only way you learn about the Holy Spirit and his function and assignment to us as comforter, helper, advocate, and all around paraclete. Paraclete is just a fancy word for counselor and, and, and advocate. Now, moving on, we discuss another reason why we study God's word in the Bible, and that reason is because, quite simply, God commands us to do so. Second paragraph on page six. Jesus uttered this command in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter four, verse four, where Jesus says this, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word that goes out of the mouth of God. Where are the words that came out of the mouth of God? In your Bible, in the word that you study. So I pointed out that when Jesus says it is written, it must have been written in the Old Testament scriptures. Why? Because that would be the only scriptures that he would have any familiarity with or knowledge of. So if it was written, then it must have been written somewhere in the Old Testament. So we go back to the Old Testament and find that the command of Jesus found in Matthew 4.4 was written in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Here in Deuteronomy, uh, we're looking at the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness after they had left Egypt. Uh, it's being described here. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, and he, he being God, humbled you and allowed you to, hung, to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is where it's written initially. We study the word from the Bible because the statement, every word leaves out no word. To be able to live by every word means that we have to study the Bible and learn as many of these words as possible. Now, don't get upset or feel that this will never happen. It doesn't mean that you have to know every single word in the Bible. You get enough from what you read and what we direct you to. If you live by just that, you will go a long way in terms of living successfully because we're teaching you what Apostle Price taught you and so forth. We're not, we're not and, and it's really kind of the essence of what you need and so forth. There's no end to what you can learn and what you can know, but we're making sure that you get the essence of what you need to live the victorious overcoming life. Now, continuing with our summary, the last paragraph on page six, another key, key reason why we study the word in the Bible is that knowing the word is what makes us free. It is Jesus who tells us again this, that knowing and studying and living the word will make us free. We see this in the Gospel of John, chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, where he says, if you abide in my word, 
You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, we know that when Jesus says my words, this is the same as saying God's words, the Father's words. Jesus goes on to show us exactly what he means by truth. And you see this in John chapter 17, verse 17. You have it there next to the last line at the bottom of the page. John 17, 17. This is Jesus praying to the Father, praying for his disciples to the Father. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. So we know then that God's word is true. What we're reading and learning in the Bible is true. So we know that God's word is truth, and this truth is what makes us free. We are urged by Jesus to learn and abide in the word because he and the Father wants us to be free. Now again, as teachers here at Crenshaw Christian Center, this here and out west, we are here to assist the Holy Spirit in helping to guide you into all truth in the word. We endeavor to help you study and help you to rightly divide the word. When you rightly divide the word, you're able to connect with the scriptures properly for meaning. And this gives you the full thrust of the word's power and influence. And this is what leads to the truth and makes you free. So it's not just knowing the words and reading them and memorizing them. It's understanding them and then connecting them properly, rightly dividing them. And then this is what will make you free. Because we know when the Bible talks about rightly dividing, it means you can wrongly divide. And I gave you some funny examples about that uh, early on. I won't, I won't bother with that today. But you can, they can be, the scriptures can be wrongly divided. Now, moving along and looking at yet another reason why we study the word from the Bible, we go back to our foundation scripture, which is 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, which says this. Uh, we started out by reading this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, it's, imp it's important to know that it's from this inspired word of God that is said to be profitable for doctrine that Crenshaw Christian Center derives its doctrine. Doctrine represents our core beliefs or basic tenets of faith. It is what we believe and it's what we teach. And it's contained, by the way, in our statement of faith, which is on the back of your bulletin, the church bulletin you, that you get on Sunday. Now, in this series, I showed you where Cranshaw derived the 13 points in the statement of faith from the inspired word of God in the Bible. You can find our statement of faith on the back of your church bulletin. I cannot go over each of the 13 points from, from uh, that statement in this summary, but. By way of example, I'm gonna remind you of two. You can see all 13 explained in uh, message number one on this series, where I explain them in detail. I'm gonna just go over the first two to give an example of how we derive this from the word. The first one is that we believe, and you can see this on the back of your bulletin, we believe in the triune God. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity, the Godhead. And I have you go to little John, 1 John 5, 7, where the word says this, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Word is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. This is the Trinity, the Godhead. This is God in three persons that we first 
see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which says, then God said, Genesis 1, 26, everybody knows this by heart by now. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. With the us and the our here, God is referring to the Trinity or Godhead of himself, the Son, Jesus, or Word, and the Holy Spirit. Because a number of people have raised the question, if God is saying in our spirit, was he talking about other gods? Were there other gods in existence? He's talking about the Trinity of himself, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second tenet from our statement of faith is number two, we believe that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Jesus Christ is true God and true man. What does that mean? Because it's not explained on, on, on the back there. What it means is that Jesus is both God and man, but he's not half God and half man. He's not, it's not 50-50. He's 100% God and 100% man. Now, Isaiah 9-6 foretells us when it says this, Isaiah 9-6, bottom of the page, for unto us a child is born, a child is born. This is the man, Jesus. Unto us, top of page eight, a son is given. This is the divine or God, Jesus. Now the fancy name for this combination state of 100% man and 100% God that Jesus is, is Theanthropos. Theanthropos. And you see it right there. And you can look it up for yourself. The, T-H-E, that's like theology, that's God. And anthropos, anything anthropo means man. Anthropology, the study of mankind, so forth. Uh, uh, misanthropy, hatred of mankind, and so forth. So any, if you know your suffixes and prefixes, you can figure out what, what words mean. So that's God and man. Jesus, therefore, is a theanthropic union. 100% God, 100% man. Now, here are some scriptures that relate to God. I mean, I'm sorry, that relate to the God, Jesus Christ. Just wanted to show you in the word where he's related to as God. John, and, it, and the reason I, I, I print this out for you, because if we were, if I were having you stop and go over and look these up, we would get to maybe about one third of the message. And then you would be exhausted from trying to keep up with looking up these scriptures. But they're all right here in front of you. Uh, here are three scriptures that relate to Jesus Christ as God. John, Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 20, where it says, and Thomas answered. This is doubting Thomas. This is after he, Jesus had said, you know, put your hand through here, because he, he didn't believe that Jesus had, had uh, resurrected. And Thomas says, and answered him and said, my Lord, my God. Hebrews chapter one, verse eight, which says, but to the son, this is God saying this, by the way, but to the Son, he, God, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, which says, looking to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here are two scriptures that relate to the man, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul writes this. Romans 1, 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, the man, Jesus. And then 1 John 4.2, this is little John next to Revelations, the back of the Bible. 1 John 4.2 says this, by this you know the spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. This is the man Jesus. Now you can find, as I said, the other 11 points in our statement of faith discussed in part one of this series. Now turning to another reason, last paragraph on page eight, that we studied the word, we find that the Bible is packed full of God's expressions of love, his divine purposes, his precious gifts and promises, his great exhortations, his explicit commands, his direct warnings, and his splendid declarations. These expressions of God are all for us, the believer. But you have to study the word to know that they are in the Bible. And they are there for you. Now, in this series of messages that I did, uh, numbering nine so far, we looked at the word that contained examples of each of these areas of God's expression of love. Now, I can't go over all of these but what I will do is, is list one or two for you this morning. You have these in the previous messages. You can always go back and pick them up. In terms of God's expression of love, we'll just look at this first one, which is the greatest gift of love that has ever been given, ever, in the history of man. And it's declared in John 3, 16, 17. John 3, 16, everybody knows that by heart. For Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, we looked at a number of other scriptures that expresses God's love for us, and I pointed out that this love of God, this is what I want to mention here, the love of God is unconditional. The love of God is unconditional meaning we're not required to do anything in order to receive his love. God's not waiting for us to become perfect or to clean up our act before he expresses his love. God's love is unconditional, meaning that his love is expressed toward us despite our disposition toward him. We see this expressed in Romans 5.8. You have it right here, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a clear expression of his unconditional saving love as our disposition toward God was at the time that of a sinner. Now, while God's love is unconditional, I pointed out that his promises are always conditional. Conditional simply means that you have to do something before you can receive the promise. Now, a good, good example of the condition needing to be observed before you get the promise is seen in the list of promised blessings contained in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 13. We're all familiar with this, and I'm going to go over these rather quickly. I call this the granddaddy of all promises of God because of the great blessings that result from obeying God's word. Now, it lists all of the conditions, I mean, all of the First of all, let me read the, the, uh, Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey his voice, it's the word of God, the Lord your God, to observe carefully his commandments, which I, Moses, command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the blessings flow from there. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your body. Four, blessed shall, oh, I'm sorry, five, blessed shall be the, 
your basket and your kneading bowl, and you can read the rest of it there. You have it there. Blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. In other words, you're blessed all the time. Uh, seven, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They will come out against you one way, and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouse and in all to which you set your hand. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God. In other words, if you obey the word of God, these blessings will come upon you. Now, it is clear that the blessings will come upon you only if you obey God's word. The if you obey is a condition to receiving the promised blessings. You should be excited about what verse 2 says in that it states this, and all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the word of the Lord your God. It's absolutely great to have the blessings come upon you, but it's like having a downpour of goodness from the windows of heaven when the blessings overtake you. Wouldn't you like to be overtaken by blessings? Well, <laughs> obey the word of God. But you can only obey the word of God if you know what that word is, and the only way you can know uh, what the word is is by studying it from the Bible. And to obey the word again simply means that you do what the word says. That's what it means. Now, turning from the promises of God, we look to the manifold gifts God has given us in the word. And there are so many uh, that uh, I'll only touch on a couple, maybe not as many as I have in here in this summary. You, you can continue to read them yourself and you have them in the previous messages that I gave. But we know that Father carries out his will and purpose uh, for salvation uh, for us and all mankind through his son. Everything the Father does, he does through his son. And I just want to give you that scripture that points this out. It's John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, which says this. Verse 1, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word is Jesus, remember, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He meaning Jesus, was in the beginning with God. And three, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. God not only carried out his essential purpose and will for redemption of men through his son, he also makes his great gifts to us through his son. And this is where you get that great teaching from Apostle Price who talks about what we have in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we can do in Christ, and... Uh, what's the other? What's the fourth one? Uh, where we are in Christ and so forth. I'm going to just give you a few examples of that uh, so we can get through, at least get through the summary today. Uh, these are some examples of what was given to us by God in, by, and through Christ. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gift of peace with God. Romans 5.17 says this, For if, one man, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, the one being Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. How? Through the one, Jesus Christ. This is the gift of righteousness that is right standing with God. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a gift of the victory over death. And when you go back and read that, you will clearly see that. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
This is a gift of the ability and authority to do whatever needs to be done. Now, there are countless more scriptures that show us the gifts that we have from God in and through Christ Jesus. And you can uh, uh, go back and look at previous parts of this study to get those. But so we look to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which sort of sums up the whole thing. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. It says this, For in him, Christ Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. What we're being told in these two scriptures from Colossians is that in Christ, the complete and infinite power of God resided in the physical body of Christ Jesus or in his human nature. Uh, so in case you didn't know it, all the time Jesus was on earth, he possessed all of this power. He just didn't call upon it. It never left him. And that was the discipline that he had. He never, he never tried to use this power to defeat anybody or to have anybody change their mind and so forth. But the power always resided in him. And you don't always know this, but uh, this is something that you should know. Now, uh, and that's, that's what this is telling you right here. In the physical body of Christ. Now, God, have, God had a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells in our body. This is what I'm saying why it's important to know this. This is why we are complete in him, because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. This is a gift that God gives us, the gift of he himself, in that this equips us with the vast, unlimited, and often untapped resources of the kingdom that are available to us. And I give you a listing of the scriptures that tell us that the Godhead dwells in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 which says, and we read this earlier, do you not know that you're, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're the temple of, of God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen, which says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? Colossians chapter 1, verses 26, 27, which I summarized this way, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have all three dwelling in you, as, as we're told by the scriptures. Now, if drawn upon the gifts of unlimited power of the Godhead that dwells in us, this truly makes us within-dependent. And I did about 18 messages on within-dependent discussing this last year. Now, there are more gifts from God that should be mentioned in this summary, and let me just include this following. It's Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is a gift of every spiritual blessing. But we are down here on earth. We not only need spiritual blessings, we need material blessings. So through Christ Jesus, we receive the material blessings of Abraham. It's through Abraham that our material blessings come and so forth. Not sp spiritual blessings don't come from Abraham. Why? Because Abraham himself was spiritually dead, so we couldn't be getting spiritual blessings from him. Remember, he was not born again. That's what I mean by that. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, 
that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Gentiles, that's us, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is key because it's through his blessings that we derive our material blessing as compared to the spiritual blessing. Now, concluding this brief summary of God's gifts to us is a gift where God assures us that we are fully supplied in all things. This is at the top of page 13 through our knowledge of him. We see this gift in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, which declares this in chapter, uh, verse 1, 2 Peter, uh, verse 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Two, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to, that pertain to life and godliness through what? The knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The great thing that you learn from this concluding scripture on God's gifts is that all things from him have already been given to us, but you can only know this by seeing it stated in the word, and you just see it stated here. That's why I put it in here, so you can see it stated in the word uh, that you study from the Bible. Our knowledge of him that is stated in scripture comes also from our knowledge of the word. This is again why we study the word from a Bible. Now, in addition to God's gifts to us, we examine the subject of God's direct commands, exhortations, warnings, and declarations that are written. Now, before I leave this, this uh, uh, scripture, 2 Peter verse 1, I want, I want to emphasize something, and it'll come up again. It'll, it's going to come up right here. Grace and peace is multiplied to you. All of us could use more grace and peace, but how is it multiplied to us, reading the scripture at the top there in, in verse one. It's, it's multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And we access all the things in two. I'm, I'm jumping ahead because I state this down below. We, 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 accept, we access all the things that he's given to us that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That's why you need to study the word in the Bible. You need to study the word on your own and you need to come to Bible study Sunday, Bible study, whenever there's a Bible study, and anywhere you can learn the Bible because the increase in your knowledge increases your access to the things that have already been given to you. You don't know that you have them if you don't see them in the Word or you're not directed to the Word. So, continuing, I say now, in addition to God's gifts, we also examine the subject of God's direct commands, exhortations, warnings, and His declarations that are written in the Word that we study. As we found out in Romans 15, 4, for, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. This learning of the written word in the Bible leads us to greater knowledge of God, which is how grace and peace is multiplied, as I was just telling you, and how we access the all things that have already been given to us, as stated in 2 Peter. You only access these and you only multiply grace and peace by increasing and multiplying your knowledge of God. Knowledge of God simply means knowledge of his word. Now, so briefly, we looked at the commands before, and, and we can sort of dispense with the commands very simply uh, under the advice of Jesus. Uh, I pointed out that there are over 600 commands in the Bible, including the Ten Commandments. Jesus has an additional nearly 50 commands. So you would have to try to to remember or know all of these commands. But Jesus makes it simple for us. 
And he reveals this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 and 40. Look at the bottom of the page and read along with me to yourself. Verse 35, Matthew chapter 22. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, meaning Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. That's the great commandment. 38, this is the first and great commandment. 39, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. He's saying that if you love God, put him first, and then love your neighbor as yourself, you are fulfilling the law. Now, Paul explains this to us in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, when he writes this. Verse 8, Romans 13, 8, 10. I'm repeating it for those who are listening in. Romans 13, verse 8 through 10. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has done what? Fulfill the law. Nine, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear fault witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandments, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So instead of trying to memorize and obey the 600 plus laws, if you love one another, which is what we teach here, and you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your might, you have fulfilled the law. Now, let's take a brief summary look at God's warnings, exhortations, and declarations, because these are there for us as well. And we'll get through this today. In terms of warnings, we are cautioned to be careful, to be circumspect, and sanguine when it comes to our speech. That's just three words used to tell you the title of, of, of Elder Iva's message earlier on, which was so excellent, watch your mouth. You're warned in the scriptures to watch your mouth. Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 21 says this, we are told, where we are told that life and death are in the power of the tongue. That means that you can speak life to a situation or you can speak death to it. And we do this all the time. We especially speak death to a situation. Whenever you say, this is impossible, we will never be able to do this. I will never be able to pass geometry. I will never earn enough money to own a house. When you say this, you are enacting a law for yourself. So you have the ability to enact laws. When you say that, and you say it with such fervor and belief, you are enacting a law that, uh, that you can't overcome unless you counteract the enactment with, with your mouth again. Watch your mouth, as Elder Ira taught us in that series. Now, Proverbs 6.2 says this, you are snared by the words of your mouth. This literally means that you, your words can trip you up where you become trapped or snared like an animal that has been captured. And you know people who stumble over their, their words all the time by what they say and so forth. And I like to say to you, this is not in the Bible, but <laughs> it, it almost should be. Before your mouth is engaged, be sure your mind is working. Okay. 
so on. So that's, uh, it's paraphrasing something you've heard before. That's one way to watch what you say. In other words, think before you leap. Think before you say. So many times we say something that's hurtful and harmful, and it's hard to recall those words back. You know, when you say, well, I didn't really mean it, you know, and so forth. All right, God gives us probably the most consequential warning uh, in the Bible in this one, which you have heard us speak of this morning already, and you hear us say it a lot of time. That warning is in Hosea 4, 6. He warns us. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. We're almost there. Now, this warning in Hosea 4, 6 stands as the most powerful and compelling reason why we should study the word of the Bible. It's the way to avoid destruction. Knowledge of God's word is your most powerful weapon in protecting yourself against destruction. That is why in Ephesians 6, 17, God gives us the, God's word is given to us as the sword of the spirit. His word is what we fight with in combating illness and disease or in, in resisting fear and worry, in fighting financial lack or need, and in defending against any and all the tricks and temptations of the devil. The word is a weapon Jesus used to send Satan packing when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We've gone over that many times, Luke 4, 1 through 13. You should check this wilderness experience Jesus had with the devil out, and you will see all the examples where Jesus used the word to resist the devil. As I said, he didn't call down a bolt of lightning from heaven. He didn't call down an army of angels. He used the word of God. Now, in addition to his warnings, and we're headed, heading home, in addition to his warning, God provides us with his encouragement through powerful exhortations and declarations. These are discussed in part nine, which we just covered last week, but I'm just going to give you a few examples uh, that I gave before. Joshua 1, 9, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's an exhortation. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Exhortation. 1 John 4.4, 4, you are of, uh, I, I pass over uh, Isaiah 41.10, but you can, you can read it there. For when, that's an exhortation. 1 John 4.4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's a declaration. The he that's in you represents the full power of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who dwells within each of us that we, we just covered this. Revelations 12, 11, that's a declaration. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. This is another very compelling reason why we need to study and learn and apply God's word. With our spoken testimony, which reflects what God says about our situation, the spoken word will overcome him him being Satan and all his tricks. Isaiah 54, 17, very familiar. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment uh, you shall condemn. That's a declaration, but it's for us. It's for you to know. It's to help you. So it's important to know what it says here, too. It says no weapon will prosper. What, what, it's, what it's saying on the backside is that the weapons are going to come against you from time to time. They just won't be successful. And when you know this, then you know not to be done in by uh, uh, a weapon that's aimed at you. Finally, in Romans 12, 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, 
but be conformed by the renewing of your, mind, of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's an exhortation. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This last exhortation about renewing your mind is another compelling reason to study the word in the Bible. Why? Because the way you renew your mind is with the word. You renew your mind with the word. You don't renew your mind with food, with alcohol, with drugs, with gossip. You renew your mind with the word of God. And by the way, you don't renew your mind in this sense with the knowledge that you learn in school. You renew your mind with the word of God. Now, in closing, I want to remind you that an exhortation is a message or speech or something that we say designed to excite you and encourage you. And it's usually said in that way. You know, if you're going to say no weapon formed against you, you wouldn't say it like that. You say, no weapon formed against you uh, will prosper. And so forth. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a declaration. Uh, uh, th that exhortations are designed and, 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 and I mean exhortations and, and declarations are very similar. They're designed to incite you and encourage you. Now in this series, we have discussed the Bible for what it is, the inspired word of God. You are ex exhorted to study and learn this word because it is what we are commanded to live by. You are further exhorted by the word to study the word, to, to actually live in this word and spend quality time in it. That's what abide in this word means, to actually live in the word. When you spend that kind of time in the word, spending that time reading, studying, meditating on the word, dwelling on the word, asking questions about the word if you don't fully understand it, asking the Holy Spirit to help you if you need further understanding, it's that word that leads you to the truth, and it's that truth that will make you free. From the summary of this series on the Bible, you can see that I presented many compelling reasons why you should study the word. There are others in the series. I only picked out some. Otherwise, I would be repeating the whole message uh, why you should study the word. But the important thing is that you now have heard all of these reasons. You've actually heard all of these reasons, backed up by in and what the word itself says. So my advice to you is the same advice given in James chapter 1, verse 22, which says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Don't just hear the word, do the word. And doing the word again simply means doing what the word says. So with that, we'll conclude today. I know it was a lot, but guess what? You have it all in front of you. You can go back and read it over and over again, which I know you're going to do. Aren't you all going to do that? Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.